0: Welcome to the Human Kinosome Project, I'm your host Gary McCoy. Today we're joined by Will Carroll, better known as the Injury Expert in North American professional sports. Will's focus on the etiology of the current injury pandemic is, in my opinion, second to none. A former Sports Illustrated and Bleacher Report expert, he's shaping the thought process for professional organizations around injury through his subscription newsletter, Under the Knife. Well, mate, this is an absolute pleasure. It's good to uh, talk to you as often as we get the opportunity to. And uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. So thanks for being here.
1: Well, thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. You know, I think the world of you, uh, and what Kinetics is doing, I'm really excited about it. and I think everybody else will be too. Yeah, no, that's awesome, buddy. And, you know, the
0: funny thing was um, when our marketing team were asking me, well, how do you know Will? I was like, you know what? I said, I'm trying to remember back to our first interaction. You know, the first time I called you, you called me, I know it was well after... Sports Illustrated and Bleacher Report was after those engagements, but I was trying to remember when it was, and I was like, ah, oh, you know what? This industry, right? It's like being on a roller coaster. Yeah. All of a sudden, I looked over and there's a bloke next to me that I like to talk to on the roller coaster, and that was Will. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of remember when that was. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, uh, we actually first met back in I want to say 2011, 2012, yeah, whatever year it was. They first had the winter meetings in Las Vegas where everybody was freaking out. It might have even been earlier than that. Uh, We met in passing, but I'd always known who you were, followed your work, and and, uh, now now, uh, one of my best friends around.
0: Well, it was funny because, you know, it was amazing for me to meet you and connect with you because you shaped the way I thought about injury. There was absolutely no question. You were the one person who was looking for accountability around things like soft tissue injury. You were the one person who took a global kind of a let's stand back and really look at what the impact of injury is in professional sports. And it really shaped my thinking. It shaped it to the point of when I first started at Catapult and people were asking me what is sports science, I always said there were two laws of sports science. Law one was the best ability is availability. That reducing injuries and having everybody available for the game was always law number one. Law number two was kind of optimizing their genetic potential for the key performance indicators within that sport, but it came back always to injury prevention and making sure if a team is investing hundreds of millions of dollars in an athlete, that he's ready to play. So you certainly shaped a lot of that thinking for me, so I can't thank you enough for that because it's certainly been something that has been inarguable um, in my career. But have you found ever that there's been somebody in professional sports that says, oh, yeah, look, it's the injury bug. We don't care about it. You know, it's, it's something we can't control. It's going to manage itself.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately there have been, you know, a lot of times people just don't understand. Don't uh, they think when we, we hear the term injury prevention. uh, I was just reading an article today about Amazon spending a hundred million dollars on injury prevention. And I was like, wrong word. You're never going to get to zero. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, you saw a couple of days ago Jose Abreu from the White Sox, Hunter Dozier from the Royals, just a quirky play, and boy, did they collide! And, and yep. you know, first, you know, you can prevent, reduce, do every sort of right thing, and then two guys run into each other, and now you've got two broken all stars. Uh, in the 100%. same way, if you take a look at that same incident, uh, there's no way to prevent it, but Jose Abreu comes out of the game. He's back the very next one. No real effect. I'm sure he's sore. Uh, If you've ever run into another big human being at, at high velocity, you know, you don't feel great about it, but you can still perform. On the other hand, Hunter fell wrong. The collision itself didn't really hurt him more Uh, than normal but he hit his head when he fell and he had that whip effect so now he's in the concussion protocol so there is an element of luck you can never take all the danger out of a game and you wouldn't want to what you want to do is reduce as much as you can so i i still say the word injury prevention but i'll catch myself i try to say injury reduction injury management because those are the things we can do You can take it from $100 million in injuries at Amazon to $50 million in injuries at Amazon. That means they can get more boxes through. That means they can have less uh, turnover in their employees. It's the exact same thing for the athletes.
0: Yeah, and it all quantifies, right? I mean, there's a dollar sign attached to all of that, whether it's industry or whether it's professional sports. We've got that dollar sign attachment. And injury, yeah, it seems to be this bucket diagnosis. Like you said, it's a bucket term that people say, injury prevention but the other one I hear is injury prediction right that's the other term, term yeah. that I hear all the time and we kind of know that okay let's peel back and go preventable versus non-preventable injury what are the preventable injuries and we generally tend to bucket those two into the mm. soft tissue array right like the hamstrings the oblique strains those kind of things that are seem to be pandemic in major league baseball currently it's those things that we know are preventable through Um, you know and it was Alex McKechnie and we've had this discussion around Alex a few times he was a first practitioner Um, Alex for our listeners uh, the director of performance for the Toronto Raptors and also an assistant NBA coach was responsible for Shaquille O'Neal's return to play when he was with the Lakers moves to the uh, Raptors and does a phenomenal job making them one of the least injured teams in the league fortunate to work with him and spend time around him well it was he he that said to me the very first time he goes look he goes, preventable injury, if someone pulls a hamstring or, or has a soft tissue injury, that's from the normal constructs of a game, that's on me. Yeah. Because I haven't conditioned him correctly to withstand the demands of the game. So I either didn't understand the demands or I didn't condition him appropriately. So getting injury into this classification of preventable, non-preventable, I always
1: think is step one. Exactly, and you're gonna get things like that. You know, we've got hamstring prevention programs, Uh, that really work. There's study after study that just doing simple Nordic exercises work. And and you can go well beyond that, of course. Uh, ACLs, same thing. Uh, Soccer, there's been some reductions that we see at 50, 60% level. Uh, Bert Mandelbaum's done a ton of work on that with with US soccer. Um, But that said, I remember speaking to an NFL trainer uh, and and he had, I think it was four ACLs in training camp, which isn't unusual, but three of them were uh, non-contact, where it just, yeah guy stepped wrong, the kind of thing you could prevent. And the other one was a guy that got hit. You can't prevent it. I was like, okay, could we have prevented two out of three of those? Yeah, maybe. Could we have still cut it in half? Absolutely. But you're never gonna get to zero. If anybody's putting it on you that we're gonna get to zero, we're not. No,
0: they're kidding themselves. Like pre- preventable injury on the soft tissue side yeah I had one season right so I can turn around and say um, we put we did as, as good a job as we could. It was really over a two year period in professional baseball where we got to zero soft tissue injury but the year before that there were two things that happened I couldn't prevent one was the oldest player on our team rounding first base, standing in soft ground you know after a rain delay boom hamstring. Yeah, didn't didn't, ex, didn't see that one coming, right? As much as we could have done, it was rain delay. He was his age. It was a number of factors. Um, looking back, you know maybe it alters our rain delay protocol for getting guys prepped and warmed up again to come into the game. But then the other one was hilarious. I have, a pitcher turns up and he's, oh my back, my back. You know, out of Taiwan. I said, okay, mate, what's wrong with your back? And he says, I had a fight with my wife. I had to sleep on the couch. My back's no good. Okay. Mark, it's sure to be a marriage counselor yeah. mate. I can't
1: help that one either, you know? So, you know, there are things there are things that are going to happen. We've always talked about the zero season. Now you actually did it. But you know better than anybody. There's an element of uh, of luck to that. Yes, you know, 100%. No fights with the wife. Uh, you know, nobody uh, <laughs> exactly. slept wrong or traveled wrong. We didn't get a bad bed
0: in a hotel. We didn't have bad nutrition. You know, we would define injury as kind of the day lost when we, when we weren't expecting a day to be lost. So, yeah. yeah, look, to get to zero, you're right. Planets have to line up you have to have phenomenal people doing a phenomenal job to even get into that ballpark, right? But I think that's the next big emergence. And I really wanna pick your brain a little bit about this. Like, you know, everyone talks and you must hear the term money ball probably more than anybody, right? You hear it a ton in, you know, coming out of baseball for our listeners who don't know it. Um, back in the, was it, uh, early 90s, I think it was, where the money ball term first started to emerge was uh, through the yeah. Oakland Athletics and Billy
1: Bean. Really, I think it was 2002 when uh, – yeah. I, I don't know okay. where the term came from. It was a good title for Michael Lewis. It's, yeah. it's funny. I've actually never seen the movie. Um, oh, people, wow. Like, okay. I was, I, I've read the book, and it's it's very strange for me because I know all the people. So yeah, exactly. Even though they've yeah. changed some of it and yeah. – yeah, what is it? Peter Brandt that's essentially Paul DePodesta. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those where it's just weird. If they made a movie of Gary McCoy's perfect season, it'd still be strange because I was like, yeah, that Brad Pitt guy doesn't look anything like Gary. Brad
0: Pitt better be playing me too, buddy. (laughs) Brad Pitt better be playing me. That's all I'm going to say. If he can play Billy Bean, come on. Come on, right? Um, No, you're 100% right. I mean, look, that Moneyball era um, where data was used to really alter the optic on the value of an athlete really is what it was, right? So my... My want, I think, more than my um, projection is that player health will be the next big statistic that is going to make a key difference in teams that win and lose, right? We know from kind of across the board in sports globally that, again, best ability is availability. If all your players are available and ready and you've got all those pieces on your chessboard ready to take battle. Right? If they're all there, if you've got your back line there and ready to go, your chances of winning are much higher than if your queen's off the board. Right, So at the end of the day, I'm really hoping that that is the next big kind of evolution and change is this player health component. What are your thoughts around that? How far away do you think that is? Or am I in a pipe dream? Is that a pipe dream? For no, I, th-
1: I think you're right. And we're starting to get closer to that. You know, the The, the issue has been how do we measure it? Inside teams, they've got vastly more data than we do outside teams. And I think kind of the pivot point is going to be gambling. We've already seen a, a huge amount of data in European soccer where gambling, you can go place a bet inside the stadium if you want. And now with mobile gambling, you don't even have to get up. Uh, yeah. Same thing is going to happen with American sports. I mean, I, I think from the first point, you're going to have a lot of people with money on the line. So that's going to be the first part. The second is, I think broadcast is going to do it. One of the things I've always hoped for is that, uh, especially the NBA, I think this would be the easiest one. If Steph Curry is going to the line with, you know, the game on the line, he's got two free throws. What's his heart rate do? Does it go up? I mean, has he done this so many times, both in real life and in his head, that, man, this is just another game? But does it stay in game seven of the finals? Uh, does some rookie go up to the line and does his shoot through the roof? How does, how is his performance done? You yeah. know, at the same time, you're seeing things, um, basketball almost going to a hockey shift kind of concept because they now have the sport view cameras and some even yeah. more advanced systems that are allowing them to say, Hey, this guy is now at 95% of his fatigue level. He needs two minutes off and they can, yeah kind of rotate that in and you've got a guy on the sidelines with the charts saying, Hey coach, it's time for Jones to come out. It's, you know, LeBron can only go 34 and a half minutes tonight. And it's, it's that sort of granular. So I think we're going to, I do think we're going to end up in a money ball situation where Mm -hmm. you can go back to the sixties and seventies and kind of the Bill James sort of popularity where he sort of brought up these sabermetric ideas There were a ton of stats that people created to try to get to certain things. Hmm. If you get to about 2008, 2009, at least in baseball, um, we've pretty much gotten there. Now, there's still, you know, we got 99% and everything from this day forward is probably going to be 1% or new data that we're getting. Um, Same thing in football. What Aaron Schatz did was what Bill James had done in basketball, you know, Kevin Pelton and that crew uh, did amazing stuff. So I, I think we are shifting forward. And I think the one thing we haven't had is what goes into that performance. We have all the exactly. data we need on what happens. We don't have yeah. any data, at least publicly, about how do we get there? How do we produce force? How are we moving? How are we fatiguing exactly. and how are we recovering? Ah, uh, you, you look, mate, you hit it on the
0: head. I mean, that's one of the m- my core role at Kinetics is exactly this, right? Is to define the measurements that we're really looking for that are trans that can transact, that can make a quantitative difference in the eyes of the pre- practitioner to best manage that athlete. Like we can talk fatigue all day, and the only element of fatigue we really tend to look at as if a player is slowing down from a speed perspective or um, in practice, like if we're monitoring practice, the second thing we'll tend to look at is heart rate data. And when we're looking across the spectrum of heart rate data, we know as practitioners and as scientists how many different things can affect heart rate. Um, I still have people that want to look at respiration. And if there's an emotional sigh, well then... That measures his anaerobic threshold and that athlete's not even close, right? So there's, there's, it's not only the data, but it's the qualification of such. And that was my original attraction to Kinetics was looking, I always said, the best definition I know of fatigue is the inability to produce force. So I better have a force monitoring product to be able to do that, right? Something that's not just in the lab. Exactly.
1: There's so many interesting things that we can do with a, uh, a product like what Kinetics is building. Uh, I was out of, uh, I live in Indianapolis. I was out of the track this weekend for the Grand Prix uh, working awesome. with a company that you know, one of these Indy cars has 300 sensors in it, plus telemetry that wow. can do that real time all the way around the track. Wow. And yet the driver doesn't have a heart rate monitor on.
0: Not sensorized at all, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we've got this driver getting knocked around. He's really the weak link in the chain. We were talking about it. You know, you can lay the wing back and get more speed, or yep. you can notch the wing up and get more downforce and go faster around the turns. And kind of yep. those balances are things. If you think about it, uh, just a pitching movement, you're putting a lot of force in one foot and you're taking a lot of force out with the other foot. Uh, you know, you, you land, you're coming around. There, there's so many things going on and we have zero insight into what's happening. We talk about our mechanics and slot and and, all the things around it, but yet nobody until now has given us that data. So I, I'm so excited that we're starting at things like this.
0: Yeah, no, it is, and it's it's that whole term in situ, right? Is like like taking it out of the lab and putting it into the real world where we can actually get some real world data. You know, we can actually figure out what is going on in that environment. And thinking of IndyCar, the a couple of times I've had the uh, had the ability fortunately to work in formula one one of the things was with one of the projects was the formula one endurance team and we were measuring their heart rate and looking at their heart rate variability um, versus when they were coming in and coming out and they were asking me based upon heart rate variability as a recovery metric when is this guy going to be ready for that next four hours behind the wheel and four hours behind the wheel you think oh yeah that's your average drive. Now this is 200 miles an hour in, in yeah. a lot of moving parts, right? And so are they ready to come back? Is there a cognitive effect to heart rate variability and recovery on their ability tactically to be able to maneuver through that environment? So, yeah, it's super fascinating. And unf- like in a sport like motor racing, it's, re- it's always really interesting. The human... The most important part of the equation is there's nearly always left out because yeah. because we're controlling the controllable, which is the elements of the vehicle. Right. It's all the hardware. It's the yeah. PSI and the tires. It's the you know, it's the engine, like you said, uh, and wings to be in out downforce, create speed, et cetera. Um, those are all single metric kind of identifiers, whereas this human athlete, it's chaos theory at the end yeah. of the day.
1: Exactly. I was talking to one of the drivers, Robert McGinnis. He's a young kid out of New York. Uh, drives for Andretti in the Indy Lights, which is kind of like AAA for, for IndyCar. Um, yeah, yeah. And one of the things he was talking about is you go into turn one, I have to put 1,500 pounds of force on the front brakes uh, to get slowed down to make this uh, 95 degree turn. I was like, yeah. is there something on your wheel that tells you how much pressure? And he was like, yeah. no, I mean, it gets measured, but I only get it afterwards. So he has to have that real-time feel Uh, That practice of knowing when I hit it this hard, it's 1,500. When I hit it, 1,550, that's too much. And now my lap time is off by, you know, the hundredths of seconds. The Indian Lights, uh, it was the the difference between first and second place in the race on Saturday was 0.02 seconds. Holy cow. 35 laps, two and a half miles (laughs) each lap, and it was 0.02 seconds, less than a car length. Absolutely crazy race. If you if you get a chance, if you like wow. a bit. No, it's really good. But struck me because I was camp. thinking as he was answering that, I was like, how do you not have something to do with that? And then I was like, well, the only thing I know that does anything like that is kinetics, and maybe <laughs> Andretti is the first client.
0: Maybe. No, that could be, that'd be incredible. And I'm not wanting to take this down any sales pitch for kinetics, but uh, yeah, we could solve that problem for them pretty, pretty rapidly. I mean, it comes back to the feedback loop, right? The data feedback loop. And that's imperative, I think, in any sense of um, athlete technology that exists and it's out there. Let me ask you this, mate. Um, an emergence of technology in the last 10 years, and I was at the front of a couple of those uh, technology emergences in in the NFL and in Major League Baseball, um, the amount of data that's out there, I've heard practitioners say, we have too much data. We have too much data. Um, without giving you my bias around that, what's, what do you think of that?
1: Usually that means they don't have the people that understand the data. There's a lot of data. I will admit, you know, uh, this, these past couple of years, I've been coaching, pitching at a division two school, um, and working with those guys, there's a lot of times where there is too much data. You know, th- there are things that get measured alongside. Uh, I'll. I won't pick on these guys because I love their product, but Rapsodo, uh, which is a a specialized camera that measures ball spin and movement, uh, absolutely fascinating technology has really changed the game in the decade it's been out. Um, Some of the stuff, it's like, I don't need to know that. I've learned what works. So maybe there's another coach that looks at that and, and says, no, I really need to know rifle spin, or I need to know, exactly this, uh, it, it tells me the pitch speed. So it saves me from having somebody else with a stalker behind me. So that's nice, but yeah, you, know, you know, radar is an accuracy. So uh, no, what I think we have is, is a twofold data problem. First, there's a ton of data, and most of it is things that these coaches haven't dealt with. So if you've got the so-called old-school, yeah. Uh, yeah, this goes back to Moneyball, if you've got the old-school coaches that don't know how to deal with the data, and won't learn, then yeah, it's absolutely too much data for them. The second is you've got to have people that can speak baseball. And that was one of the big things. Um, for a long time, I didn't understand. Scott Boris, uh, the super agent of baseball, doesn't allow any of his uh, employees to talk to a baseball player if they didn't play baseball. So most of his agents, the top agents, uh, our former players, Jeff Musselman is, right. is one of his top yep. guys, because they speak the same language. They've gone through the same things. They've got guys in the back room that are super smart, super social, could deal with a lot of things, but they just don't speak that, that fluent native baseball. And I think there's a lot of that in coaching because we see the data. If we understand the data, now we got to translate the data into something that uh, you can actually deal with. I've seen a situation where guys in the bullpen will get good feedback. The coach will tell them, you need to do this, your arm's behind by this much, uh, your, your trunk tilt is this much, and all they're trying to do is throw strikes. Yep. You know, and that there's a Absolutely. data overload at times. So you not only have to know the data, you have to understand the data and be able to impart the data at the same time. And that's really difficult. That's why, you know, the, the great coaches and the great sports scientists yep. get paid the big bucks.
0: Yeah, and it's really difficult. And yeah. we can talk about Major League Baseball, who's in its second COVID uh, kind of compressed season. Injuries are up in baseball about 15% from what we can tell today. Yeah. Um, what's the effect of COVID on that, Will? What, what, what's your gut feeling?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, this season, more than any other, was the one we kind of expected it to either be way up or way down. I didn't expect yeah. the season was gonna be normal. Uh, and uh, it didn't an even uh, Like you said, it's up about 15%. Um, and it looks to have the abnormal pattern. Normally what we see is pure survivor effect. You get yep. most of the injuries in the NFL before week two. Um, you get most of them by May 1st in yep. Major League Baseball. Um, by then you're, you're essentially almost done with the arm injuries. What you see is you know, guys running into things, the occasional hamstring strain, things like that. Um, yep. That's not happening. We're not seeing that normal taper at May 1st. Here we are, you know, essentially two-thirds of the way through uh, May, and we're not seeing that taper. So if this continues uh, through the entire season, oh, man, it'll be off the charts. Yeah. Just looking at, you know, I like to look at three and five and ten-year chunks because anybody can – have a bad year. Things can go horribly wrong. You know, you can have a lot of people sleeping on the couch. Uh, you, you yeah. can have everything go right. But yeah. you know, luck evens out over three and five and ten year periods. Uh, sure. there's a team in the NFL that I won't mention who is, has ranked 31st over a 10 year period in terms of man games lost. And I'm like, anybody yeah. can have a bad year, but if you have a bad decade, you better start changing things. <laughs> and yeah. they have. Uh, yeah. but it's one of those interesting things where we just don't know a lot of people, I was just yeah. talking with Simon Brundish, who's a, a, an English guy, oh, yeah. uh, does a lot of movement education with, with kids and absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He was like, these guys are sitting around and I'm like Simon, you know, as well as I do, these guys weren't sitting around what they were doing. And he had a great point on this was they were doing something different. Even if you took an athlete, And he was working out and, you know, working on a swing and working on throwing and got in the best shape of his life like they do every year. Um, It was different. So what was different? What wasn't ready? Yeah, the fact that they had a whole camp, you would think we would have reloaded them right. They would be in the right workload situation. We're not seeing huge changes in the numbers. What we're seeing is a weird change in the pattern. We're seeing so many upper leg injuries, Mm. hip flexors. You know, if anybody saw that Lewis Robert injury, holy cow, that was the nastiest hip flexure uh, injury. And, and talking yeah, it's to so people, cool. that's an injured rupture. When's the last yeah. time you heard about a hip flexure rupturing? Been a long time. I mean, it, it's... Not in that sport, is Yeah. yeah. And, and especially for baseball. Soccer, sure. yes, because it's such a, a weird kick and run. So there, there's multiple things you're doing with your legs and they get knocked into weird positions. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just very strange. So... Yeah, I don't think we're going to know. I think we're going to have to go back and, and figure out, you know, obviously last year it was just weird. It was a short season. Nobody knew what COVID was. There were some guys that were stuck uh, not working out and came back and got injured because of that. This year, what's going to happen next year? Our injury is going to be way down because we get back to actual normal rather than just this new normal? Yeah, and,
0: like, you take that and you blow it out to the international market, right? So working with the Australian baseball team on an Olympic uh, qualification tournament right now, we're going into, a. Um, we think it's going to be a four-day quarantine period right before we go into a qualification tournament. And if successful there, we move out of that into one month before we have to front up to Tokyo for the projected Olympic Games, right? Um In that four-week period, you know, I'm on the phone with the coach. He goes, well, what do you think is going to happen? He goes, we're going to have to go back to Australia and quarantine these guys for 14 days. And Dave Nelson, former MLB All-Stars, our head coach, I said, Dave, I said, look, mate, I said, at the end of the day, there's only so many weighted balls and so many mattresses we can obliterate inside of a hotel room, right? Before yeah. um, it, it is kind of, you know, that's that's what everyone says, oh, they're still training, they're still throwing. No, no, and also no. One of the things that came to mind during this NFL preseason, when I was actually uh, talking to a couple of guys over at the LA Rams, we were talking about the lack of preseason, and they use the term lack of intentional reps. And that drove me down into a little bit, it wasn't so much of a rabbit hole, but to ask the question, What's the cortisol effect on tissue hardening and strengthening? Is there yeah. one? Is you know, it's that you know, it's that mind-body connection that everybody uses that term, the mind-body connection. Well, When the hell were they ever disconnected? Right? Yeah. I mean, at what point <laughs> do we have to go back and talk about connection? Is it's
1: the holistic? Uh, I don't know. I, I did have that one night with some tequila. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I was there. I think I was there.
0: Um, anyway, that mind-body connection is the one that. Um, I think we've got to get back to training the the whole athlete. And those intentional reps are one of the things that is grossly missing, irrespective of sport, uh, due to COVID. You know, the um, Matt Howley, who I know you know well with uh, Real Salt Lake, uh, another Aussie, uh, we were actually trying to project uh, using artificial intelligence to look at the data, trying to project compressed practice periods and compressed game schedules and see what that did to an effect on the resilience of their individual athletes. That was a very positive use of data for him to plan out the season and get injury as low as he could. We know it's going to be different, but, mate, it's good to see your take on this, and I think that, um, yeah, we don't know is still the appropriate answer to this right now because there's no magic wand here. Um, We're lacking intentional reps, and those intentional reps cause game adaptation i mean what else is there i mean in a nutshell yeah
1: I, i'm just curious about it because the, the other thing and this goes back to it and, and I'm, I'm still kind of squirrely on on the term intent um i, yeah. I, I know yeah. that it, it's a big deal and and one of the things i've done up at driveline kyle body has actually gotten people to go into a lab and throw real hard it was always yeah. a problem you tell people uh, we, and when I was working at Modus, we would take around the, the biomechanics lab and get guys to throw. And getting them to throw hard, uh, there was, one of the first things I did when I got there and got access to their database was look up some pitchers, just to try to help my fantasy league team. And, and <laughs> one of the pitchers who I knew threw 100 plus miles an hour, when he was in, yeah. the, in the biomechanics lab, he was throwing in the 70s. So I was like, well, this is absolutely worthless data. Uh, I, I, I learned nothing from this other than somebody needs to kick him in the butt next time he's in the lab. Uh, yeah. and, and so they've done a good job with that. Uh, yeah. I just think so many guys have gone off, whether they're going to Eric Cressy, whether they're going up to Drive Line or down in Florida or they're at APAC, which has had some great results over the years uh, down in Texas. Any of those places, those guys are working hard. They're doing the right things. They've got good yeah. people. And we're still seeing guys who have gone through those programs, yeah. some of the best in the world, getting injured this year. So I, I have a hard time going back and saying that it was any one thing when the best, smartest, hardest-working people in the world are seeing the same weird results.
0: You learn more of when things go wrong. I've always said this. And the that, mechanism yeah. of the injury, in dissecting the mechanism of that injury is critical. It's like every time I get somebody requesting, oh, write a book on baseball conditioning, well, about 50% of that's going to be based around the individual. So, you know, yeah. how can you am- amass all that data into into a into a schedule or into a book or one size fits
1: all? And worse, uh, having gone through this, when I wrote a book in 2004 called Saving the Pitcher, uh, I I felt pretty proud of it. I was excited, and it was state of the art, and did things. You yep. know, I was talking about kettlebells in two thousand four, and people were like, "What the heck is this crazy Russian crap?" Yep. Uh, and, and now everybody has two in their house. Uh, yep, exactly. <laughs> but uh, might you now, still come up
0: with Peloton? That would have been better, right? Oh, I wish. Holy cow! Uh,
1: we'd be having this well, conversation well,
0: in South Beach.
1: Yeah. Every time we we had the yeah, we'd be owning the company rather than working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Every once in a while, I get a parent that says, Hey, I just picked up a copy of Saving Picture. I'm like, throw it away. It, it, it's, it's 2021, completely worthless. Uh, the things yeah. we did then, we've learned so much since. And that's the thing, we are going to learn. It just doesn't help us now. Uh, and, and that's why technologies, things out there that we're starting to see um, in Major League Baseball and in football, uh, yeah. you know, baseball switched to the Hawkeye cameras this year, and that data, they're keeping it behind the wall. But it's starting to leak yeah. out here and there. You and I know enough people in baseball that we're hearing things here and yep. there about what they're learning. Uh, Basketball has been a little bit ahead with, with cameras. The NFL is going all in on it. And, and yep. it's going to be really interesting to see this coming year. With what we've seen with the NBA, so many injuries. Uh, with what we've seen with Major League Baseball, so many injuries. The NFL, just because they've got a little more time before things happen, I mean, they lucked out last year and got their whole season in when everybody else had to cancel things. Uh, Are they going to luck into a a better health year? Uh, Are we going to learn things by then or are they going to walk into the same problem? And I'm very, very curious to see where that goes.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, the, the whole measurement system is going to be really interesting. But um, as a little sidebar, I still have your book, by the way. It's on my uh, bookshelf. Um, I need that <laughs> autographed you. at some point in time. I didn't throw it away, but I got a great story about someone who said throw away all his books. So working with Tom House in... Um, I think this was two thousand and seven, eight, nine. eight, is when I was with him at, uh, we were doing a lot of work at USC and Tom was uh, mm-hmm. heading up. I think it was the Rod Dado baseball yep. school at that point in time where a lot of the pro guys would come in. Uh, we would do assessments on them. We would look at things like I wanted to see things prove points. Basically. We don't need to run distance because guess what? We don't build up lactate while we're pitching. Hello, scientific fact, right? So let's finger prick guys like Cole Hamels and get some data on that. Yep. So I was hanging around with Tom a fair bit and um, got to know him so incredibly well. So I said to him, Tom, I said, you know, uh, I think fit to pitch was his, uh, was one of yep. his big ones uh, that he did with Nolan Ryan. Um, I said, you know, and this was right after, and it was, wasn't it was shortly after his problem, um, which was defined as a problem by people who really didn't know biomechanics or arthrokinematics. They talked about Tom called it the um, uh, the inverted W. I always said, to him, yeah. why don't you just call it an M, right? Why don't you just call it an M, not the inverted W, right? So, <laughs> the funny thing was, he, he I think it was um, Mark Pryor that he had some uh, that had some systemic arm injuries, and a lot of people were trying to uh, you know cause an effect, trying to attribute that to it. And shortly thereafter, Tom kind of poo pooed all his original works. He said, I right, get rid of it all; it's no good. So Tom and I connect. And I said to Tom, I said, yeah, I'm really interested in that defining moment for you when you said, get rid of all those books. He looked me square in the eyes at a steakhouse. This is at at ASMI in Alabama, looked me square in the eyes and said, divorce. And I was like, oh, Tom, I said, yeah, those are emotional moments, right, where you sit back and you get that opportunity to really reflect on your methods and your practices. He goes no, you idiot. He goes, my ex-wife got the rights to all my books, so I told everybody the next day that they were no good. And we got rid of them. he goes, and I started from scratch. And I was like, oh, man, I love you even more, buddy. Love you." So, it was one of those funny funny moments, man.
1: Wait, here, here's an even better follow-up. Mark, yeah. uh, of course, was the model for my book and then got injured the year yeah. afterwards. Uh, long story, I got a band from Ridley Field for that. But... Um, <laughs> The funny thing is, he's now the pitching coach for the Dodgers, and obviously know, they're right. doing pretty yeah. well. And yeah. but Mark, back in I want to say 2011, 2012, after his career finally went in and got shoulder surgery and yeah. doctor injuries, and I think it was Dr. Dugas had it. And it turns yeah. out the way his shoulder was injured was not consistent with a pitching injury. And they went back and went back, and it was I not You have to be a huge Cubs fan to remember this. But Mark was on the base pass and collided with Marcus Giles, who was the second baseman for the Padres at the time. Rock. And oh,
0: rock, that guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it basically compressed his shoulder right back in, which is very common in linebackers, not so yeah. common in pitchers. So same Mark Price' career, yeah. Yeah, career didn't end because of pitching. The, the inverted W did nothing to him. Uh, running into Marcus Giles, which was the most random thing, kept him from being the next Tom Seaver.
0: Again, dive in, interrogate the mechanism. You know, like if we MRI'd every pitcher in Major League Baseball, show me a perfect shoulder. No. Doesn't exist, right? Just doesn't exist. There'd probably
1: be one because there's always that one guy who never had to work for anything. I I always always hate those guys. Uh, They they roll out of bed. Give me both. And and there's always one of them. uh, It's probably Verlander. <clears throat>
0: those are the guys you send to the bar to buy beers it's your, it's your turn to buy around I'm so sick yeah, Just don't buy beers
1: you're around millionaire <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, Don and Charlie's uh, you'll enjoy this one because I know you know the mm. place the, the dearly departed Don and Charlie's oh yeah still can't I believe know. that place is closed uh, group of For features I was working too. with them. I think yeah, uh, the group of pitchers that I was working with. We it was like it's your round, and they're like, "What is a cheer round?" And I'm like, the millionaires. You keep going." Yeah, uh, exactly, <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, that was one. That was one good thing about being in baseball. I never bought a pair of shoes. Shoes were like currency. Right, mm-hmm. JB Shuck, an outfielder, would always bring me a new pair of shoes. It was like once every other month, he'd bring bring me a new pair of shoes. I was like, "You want me to write up that you've done so many workouts? What What are these for? Right? <laughs> you bribed me with shoes. Um, they were always the currency. And exactly. yeah, all- now they nearly are the way some of these things are exactly. selling. Made a couple of questions for you as we as we tend to wrap up here. Um, and like I said, I could I could talk to you for days on this. And we will probably some point this week we'll have you know a couple more hours of of chatter amongst ourselves. But um, what's been so far, if you were to put a pause on career now and look backwards, what's been, do you think, the most transformative moment of your career? Was it a... You went to work for Sports Illustrated, Bleacher Report, one of those groups. Was it a moment where your optic was changed on how you would record and present information relative to injury? Is there a single moment that you can look at and say, this was kind of career defining for me. That was a, that was a big shift.
1: Gosh, there's so many moments. There's a couple. I mean, just starting to do this, I was kind of like the dog that ran up the tree. I didn't know I I wasn't supposed to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I went from being uh, a consultant worked with insurance companies, uh, to a guy who was writing about injuries. I just thought I could do it and turns out I could. Um, on the other hand, I, I will go back to somebody who, who we just talked about, with Tom yeah. House. Uh, yeah. you know, I met Tom at ASMI. He was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award 20 years ago, which tells you about wow. uh, his career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we sat down, we were talking, and there were just so many things I picked up. And mm-hmm. then I drove, I think, to suburban Chicago for one of his clinics. And I just spent hours watching and learning and picking things up. And and it ended up in my book. And and just the way he did things, um, it it was so altering. The fact that, A, that somebody like Tom at the top of his game uh, would take time to talk to some dude uh, and just gave me so much information, so much just good vibes, which is probably what, what Tom would call it. You know, it, it was all yeah. karma, and he he taught me to bring it forward. And and one of the, one of the biggest things in my career has been being able to kind of do that. And I don't want to take mm-hmm. any credit for this, but my first intern back at Baseball Prospectus was a kid named Hyam Bloom, who is now the general manager of the Red Sox. Now he's done all the work. He's smart. He would have made it without knowing me at all. But, you know, giving him a little bit of a bump, being able to have guys yeah. like like Dave Howler with the Rays or, or Matt Klein with the Brewers, guys who uh, maybe you gave a little bit of a hand up, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've done the same thing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and those are the moments I love. Um, you know, when it when it all comes, you know, it's irrespective of logo, you know, what what's on your hat, what's on your shirt, what's on your sleeve. It's about people. You know, this industry yeah. is so, so much about people and to see somebody have success and even if it was just like it's like watching jd martinez now and knowing that when he was yep. in triple a with the astros and i would knock on his door and it was 7 a.m and we'd finished a late game you know we we'd got to bed by 12 30 but we had a day game the next day and and he was still there to work out we'd go to the yeah. city Golds Gym in oklahoma city and then we'd I'd say okay mate we're going to grab a coffee i'm going to be drinking coffee you'll probably have some while we're working out as well and transferring everything we did into hitting because he was so hitting obsessed and still is yes. to this day so still obsessed is. the little yeah, things it. we did like, you like getting him barefooted was 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 huge and and it's those little things that become you know you, that i remember you know when i see him i'm like the the gift for me is just knowing that even if it was 0.001 of his total fabric and makeup that you were there for that you know and that's yeah. what's fun
1: Exactly. I remember you probably know Kobe Clemens was, was there alongside, uh, and, and yeah. uh, Kobe, uh, I can remember was on my radio show one time and I was talking about who are guys, and this is several years ago. I was like, who are guys you think are going to have a great season? He's like, JD Martinez works harder than anybody. When he gets the opportunity, he's going to hit 50 home runs and and yep. yeah, maybe he hasn't quite hit 50, but he's done. Okay.
0: Yeah. Clemens family were in and around the Astros, still are. Obviously, they still do some work there. I think Kobe's now—he um, was coaching. I think he's now like an advisor uh, within the framework of the Astros there somewhere. But when he was a Triple we A, he was a great hitter. A Triple A, he was a really good hitter. Everyone, you see the name Clemens, you think, okay, can you throw it? You know, can you throw ninety-five, right? And you know, he's barrel chested like his dad. Yeah. Um, great kid, phenomenal kid. You know, been through the you know the bright lights of dad's career. Right, was right there and. Yeah, there were moments that I recall back like when Tony DeFrancesco, the then manager of the AAA Oklahoma City Redhawks, was called up to manage in the big leagues when they fired Brad Mills. The Astros fired Brad Mills this night. We're in Round Rock, Texas. Kobe um, had had a good game. His dad was there to watch with his buddy Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Kobe was in a clubhouse. Um, they go in and see Kobe, meet the team, then they roll into the coaches' room. I'm sitting three feet away from Tony DiFrancesco. I've got Matthew McConaughey asking all these weird questions next to me. We've got Roger Clemens sitting there. I've got Bert Hooten, you know, another pitching our know, pitching coach trying to put data into the computer. And we're sitting there and and uh, Tony shows me his phone. He goes, Oh, it's Lou now, and he takes the call from Jeff Lou now. He's got called up to manage in the big leagues right then and there. And so you you remember all those little moments yeah. about, you know, being in being in those spaces at those times and being able to contribute and, and be a part of someone's um, not a part of their success. It's more like it's um, it's 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 letting them float. You know, it's letting them yeah. go and letting them float and knowing that that you helped them. No, there's been so many moments like that with a career mate. I mean, it's incredible. But mate, just in closing, is there a is there a sports dynasty that you think is on the horizon? Is someone doing a really, really good job across multiple domains, whether it's drafting players, whether it's player development, which seems to be a big grey area for many organisations today, whether it's player health and safety and wellness and performance, uh, if it's that channel, is there a team of people that you say, hey, that's really interesting that all those guys are kind of getting together now, that has the making of something that is going to be Super interesting to watch over the next few years.
1: Yeah, it's the Golden State Warriors. Now, you might say, well, they've been in the playoffs, they've won championships, Seth Curry's getting older. Yeah. That's the intriguing part to me. It is, mm-hmm. First off, they've got some advantages. They've got very, very rich owners. They're in an area with concentrated wealth. Um, they they lack for nothing. Add in that they've had a number of high-level injuries. That's gotten very interested in the idea. What if they had had Kevin Durant? What if Clay Thompson had played this year? So they've gotten very focused on that. And and there's so many tech owners and people around that just want to be a part of it. Uh, I think they have some inherent advantages just from that locality. Uh, The other is that uh, they haven't drafted well, largely because they've been at the back. You know, If you're drafting 32nd. Uh, yeah. it's, it's much tougher in the NBA. Anything after, I think, 15 uh, gets really right. tough. But Steph Curry, singular talent, absolutely has changed the game as much as, as anybody in our lifetime, and that includes LeBron and Michael Jordan. I think the game has steps uh, in this whole three-point revolution. I think Luka Doncic is the next one. Um, yep. it, it's going to be really interesting. But I think the idea that they're going to have to replace him in a couple of years... If you take a look, one of the toughest things to do is replace a legend. Very few people get an Andrew Luck after a Peyton Manning. Yep. Uh, the Bulls yeah. have searched for you know just success, let alone a star, the level of Michael Jordan for a decade, and they probably will. Uh, yep. Dolphins haven't had a good quarterback since Dan Marino. Maybe Tagovailoa will be the one. I think the idea of having three or four years more of useful Steph Curry and maybe a couple more years at the end where he's chasing records, uh, if he left a break. Um, yeah, yeah that, That's going to be interesting, replacing him and actually creating a dynasty through yeah. understanding and planning rather than just simple luck. I think that's going to be the giant one.
0: Amazing answer. So my day starts nearly every day with your Under the Knife newsletter. Um, happy to get there, get up in the morning here on the West Coast and uh, be able to um, read your uh, analysis and summaries of injuries around uh, the league, mostly in MLB today. But uh, in the winter, it's uh, the NFL, and we get to catch up on that. Tell people where we can find you. Well, tell, tell us about Under the Knife, and uh, where else can we follow you?
1: Yeah, underthenife.substack.com. Uh, uh, if anybody listening to this podcast wants, uh, I will give you a free month to get a chance to look at it. It's only wow. $5 a month. You get everything for $5. Bucks, uh, oh, but you wow. can get a month awesome. free. All you have to do is email me at The Injury Expert at Gmail. Uh, that's the T H E, The Injury Expert at Gmail. And I will set you up. Just mention uh, the Kinetics Podcast. Uh, and yeah, I, I just go through the injuries, whether it's football or baseball, uh, and, and try to explain them. Uh, it's what I've been doing for 20 years. It's what I love to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to be back doing it again while still being able to work in, in the sports space uh, the way I do.
0: Yeah, well, Well. I mean, you're so sought after, whether it's a technology company, whether it's a general manager in an organization who's looking to get a better concept and understanding. I can't tell our listeners enough how valuable those resources are. Get your hands around injury. It's the rate limiting factor for winning and losing games. Period. And that's all that's all I've got to say around it, mate. And you're the you are the injury expert. And you're my expert and you're my go-to resource uh, every single morning. So I appreciate it. Thanks for the time today, buddy, and uh, we'll chat soon.
1: Thanks. Thanks, like Garrett.
0: Listeners, thank you for checking out the Kinosome project, and I look forward to joining you in a live conversation at Discord.com slash GG kinetics. Yes. We have a dedicated channel for you to dive a little deeper, so together we'll be able to ask even better questions. Our music as always is created by the infinitely talented Joanna Magic. Guys, the game is just beginning.